You're listening to Her Brilliant Health Radio, episode number 33. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN Dr. Kieran Dunstan shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Everybody, it's Dr. Kieran here for another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio, where you will learn facts and figures and have tasks and information to help you achieve bountiful, blissful, beautiful, brilliant health. Today, please help me welcome my special guest, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. We're going to talk about a topic that's probably near and dear to your hearts, and I'll tell you a little bit about uh, Betsy before we get started, but we're going to talk about incontinence because that's something that even young women in their 20s will experience from time to time, and as we get older and we age and our hormones change and we have babies, that problem of incontinence can actually increase significantly. And it's something that's a concern for a lot of women. So we're going to tackle that today. So Dr. Betsy Greenleaf is a double board certified physician with certifications in both female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, as well as obstetrics and gynecology. She's also the nation's first board-certified female urogynecologist. She was recently bestowed the honor of Distinguished Fellow by the American College of Osteopathic Obstetrics and Gynecology. She is a board examiner for the American Osteopathic Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology and a national spokesperson for the American Osteopathic Association. Dr. Greenleaf takes an holistic approach to treating her patients. She develops a partnership with her patients as she works closely with them to find appropriate therapies that are mutually agreeable and focuses on helping women with pelvic pain, recurrent urinary tract infections, vaginitis, atrophic vaginitis, prolapse, and urinary incontinence. And in her spare time, she's getting her MBA from Temple University and is launching two virtual stores that we'll talk about, the pelvicfloorstore.com and gleafgear.com. Welcome, Dr. Greenleaf. Thank you very much, Dr. Kieran. I really, and you know, it's funny, you say all those things out loud, and I'm a pretty humble person, and you say all those things, and I'm like, wow, that actually sounds pretty impressive. I'm like, I guess I've done some things. So. Yes, it's yeah. good to hear that, because yeah. it's important to remember all the gifts you've been given that can help other people, uh, and I think that it, it is important, and sometimes we're so in the work that we can forget that other people are thirsting for this information. And there are women listening right now, suffering with pelvic floor problems, female gynecologic problems, whether it's pelvic pain or recurrent vaginitis or recurrent UTIs or pelvic prolapse where the bladder and rectum are falling in the uterus or incontinence. So let's get into it. And I know that you really do have a holistic approach. And so when someone comes to you with urinary incontinence, a woman 
what, what are some of the things that you look at? You know, it's funny because I'll tell you the first thing that people come into my door and, and I'm busy all day long and I just want to comment on everyone thinks they're the only person. Right. And, you know, I don't know why that in today's day and age where we're pretty free with health information and you have the internet, people still are embarrassed about incontinence and they kind of blow it off as, oh, it's just a part of getting older or like nobody else has this. I'm the only one and I'm embarrassed to talk to my doctors about it. So, and I, I think unfortunately with the way the health system is now, you know, a lot of doctors are rushed and don't have a lot of time. So if it's not on, you know, if it's not in their specialty, you know, your primary doctor may forget to ask you if this is a problem. So um, I think the biggest thing when it comes to incontinence is it's, it's very, very common. There's so many people that are suffering from this. Um, look at the pad companies, you know, poise and, you know, all these, these pad companies, they're making bazillions of dollars because it is a common problem. And just because it's a common problem doesn't mean that it's a normal part of aging. Doesn't mean that you have to accept it, that there are so many different treatment options and so many different choices that fit your lifestyle and what you find acceptable, that there are things that can be done, done for this. So I think, unfortunately, I wish more of the primary care doctors would bring it up in conversation, but they do have a limited amount of time. So, you know, don't be embarrassed, I think is my biggest message. And that if this is something that's concerning you and is affecting your quality of life, then you really need to bring it up to your doctors so that they can either themselves help you or direct you to somebody that can help you with this problem. So. Yeah. And I think it's important for everyone to hear that, that just because it's, common or normal quote unquote yeah. for our society doesn't mean that it's optimal and just because incontinence urinary incontinence is common doesn't mean it's something that you have to suffer with because there are treatments for it and a lot of them natural quick fixes so you're you're not alone and you should feel comfortable talking with your doctor about anything but although i know that's not necessarily the case uh but maybe if we talk about it in a little more detail you'll feel if you're listening like this is a common thing i know when i was growing up my best friend and i like to talk about bodily functions all the time we would talk about you know our periods and pooping and things like that and, and one day her brother said to us you know, you guys with these scatological conversations, and we looked at him, of course, we had to get a dictionary. We didn't have Google then. Scatological, oh, relating to bodily functions. So, yeah, so that's what uh, makes an OBGYN is someone who likes to have scatological conversations. And your doctors like talking about pee and poop and stuff like this. Yeah. Them about it. Yeah. So, say I'm a woman, I'm 45 years old and I come to you and I say, you know, and it's usually the doorknob comment, everything's done. And then you get ready to leave and I go, oh, I didn't mention, you know, but I'm having a problem leaking urine. How do you approach that? So the first thing is really to get a history and be like, well, what's happening when you're leaking the urine? Because there's different types of incontinence or leakage of urine. Mm -hmm. So we have something called urge incontinence where the typical person is the gotta go, gotta go. You know, they did those commercials in the back, 
in the past where basically all of a sudden you're fine one minute and then next minute you're having to make this mad dash to the bathroom because you have to go really badly and you can hardly get there. So that's urge incontinence. And that is more of a problem with muscle spasms of the bladder or some nerve irritation in the pelvis. Um, where stress incontinence is not because, hey, I'm stressed and <laughs> I'm so busy, but um, a lot of women are. It's more of the stresses if you cough, laugh, sneeze, um, jump up and down, is that causing you to have some leakage? So basically, from the, the first thing is just the interview and find out when is the leakage happening, how much leakage is occurring, how often is it occurring, um, are you waking up in the middle of the night and having problems, you know, wetting the bed or having a hard time getting to the bathroom? Um, there's, so basically the history is going to give us where to direct the next um, studies or tests or to start thinking about treatment. And so then typically in the office, then I would do a pelvic exam. And just like the gynecologist, you have an exam where we look inside the vagina and we basically measure where things are located and see if the bladder's in the right place, the urethra, the tube you pee through. If that's like moving, then it, sh it shouldn't be in, in someone who doesn't have incontinence. I'll also do a, a test with someone standing up and um, when they're standing up, I'll put a finger or two in, in the vagina and see, make sure the bladder is not drooping. Because a lot of times when patients are examined laying down, because um, that's unfortunately, I have patients come to me and they say, well, how come my gynecologist didn't see this? I said, well, you know, if you didn't mention that that was a problem, they wouldn't necessarily be looking for it and testing for it. And so when you're standing, when you lay down, every, all your organs kind of go back up where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. When you stand up, we get the full effects of gravity and things start drooping and dropping. And then I can really tell where things are and if there's, you know, if they're out of, out of place. Um, and then what I do a little bit differently too, is I'll even take a look at people's low backs and their sacrums because uh, as a trained osteopathic physician, we're, we're trained to kind of look at the whole body as a unit and that not just where the symptoms are. And sometimes I'll find someone's sacrum is out of alignment and that if the sacrum is out of alignment, that can affect the nerves that are going into the pelvis and lead to urge incontinence where they have to run to get to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And then you know, we usually then at, sit down and kind of discuss those findings and, and basically what the initial options are. And then there's always, there's always a couple other tests that can be performed. There's something called a cystoscopy where they can be done in the office or, or in, um, in a surgery center. It's basically using a small camera to look into the bladder to make sure there's nothing inside the bladder. Um, and that's really important for people with urge incontinence. When patients have the urge and they got to run to get there, you know, one of the things you don't want to ignore is, oh, this is just a normal part of aging, because it can be an early sign of something more serious. If you have a bladder cancer that's growing in the bladder and irritating the lining of the bladder, that could be causing um, these urge symptoms. Um, bladder stones can be doing this. Um, a in bladder infection, a chronic infection that has gotten deeper into the tissue that doesn't give you those traditional symptoms of like burning um, can sometimes show up as just urgency and frequency. So evaluating the lining of the bladder is important. 
And then there's another test called Eurodynamics where we take a very, very small, it doesn't sound comfortable, but I, I, I've, I've been through it myself. You, you can survive it. Um, it's not that bad. No, it's not that bad. You take a very small tube with little pressure sensors on it, and it go, one goes in the bladder, one goes in the vagina, and we fill you up drop by drop to see how the bladder is actually functioning. So it's almost like an EKG for the bladder. It maps out the functioning of it. So though it's not the most natural test, it's what the closest thing we have to seeing what your bladder is doing as you're filling up with, with fluid. And so if you're a person with urgent continence, what we might see is that we get the bladder gets filled to a certain point and then all of a sudden the bladder just contracts and just pushes it out without you knowing it. And we can see that either by you will leak when we're doing this test or we will see the, the spasms on the, um, on the computer. Or if you're a person that has stress incontinence, when you cough, we'll see a drop in the pressure of the urethra, the tube you pee through, because that's a sign that um, through either childbirth or heavy lifting, that you may have had damage to the ligaments or the support underneath that tube. And so instead of those ligaments holding things in place, when someone coughs, laughs, sneeze, the whole tube kind of drops and opens up instead of if it, those ligaments were in place, they would kind of put pressure on that tube when you're jumping, coughing, laughing, and would help close it. So there's, there's a bunch of different testing. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the, what the treatment options are. Right. So. Let's just talk about the the uh, the testing for now. Sure. So I want everybody under to understand urge incontinence means when you have the urge, you leak. And stress is physical stress. So like Dr. Greenleaf was saying, it's not emotional stress. It's not that when you get upset, you have leakage. It's physical stress. So jump up and down. And that neck support of the bladder holds it up that can be broken with childbirth and um, other problems. And I don't want everyone to get worried. Oh my gosh, I have bladder cancer because yeah. <laughs> incontinence is extremely common and bladder cancer is extremely uncommon. Do you have any stats on those for everybody listening? You know, um, the one stat that I can tell you specifically is sometimes people are sent to my office because of blood in the urine. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes can be an early, that we look at more as an early potential warning sign of bladder cancer. And, but I will tell you 90% of the time with people with blood in the urine, it's mm -hmm. not. 10% of the time it is. Mm -hmm. So I would probably put those kind of stats on the urgency to it, even, even, you know, urgent continence, even less. So I'm I'd say probably like 95% of the time it's not cancer. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Know. So let's talk though about, um, some of the issues that can predispose you for urgent continence. I know when I practiced office OBGYN, urgent continence was extremely common. And the number one question that I would ask that pretty much the answer would determine what the cause was. And, and I would have the solution was, do you drink diet soda? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and particularly, do you drink caffeinated diet soda? Dr. Pepper seems to be a particular offender. And if the answer was yes, I'd say, well, just stop drinking it and your urgent continence will go away. And invariably people would come back and say, it's a miracle. I stopped drinking Dr. Pepper. <laughs> My urgent continence went away. So let's talk about that. Why is that? 
So it, there are certain foods that because of the pH, the acidity level of them, they can actually cause irritation to the bladder. So, you know, just anything that you're eating and absorbing into your body, you know, your body's going to process it. Your kidneys are going to start filtering things. And now that urine is going to end up in the bladder. And, you know, there are little chemicals that can be passed through into the urine that can are very irritating. Um, coffee is anything caffeinated usually tends to be very irritating to the bladder. So coffee, tea, carbonated drinks, even if they're not, even if they're not um, have caffeine in it, but if they have caffeine, even worse. Um, foods that are very acidic, so your citrus fruits, um, you know, you, you get somebody who thinks that they're, you know, following that picture of that nice breakfast, you know, that you'd see in the magazines with your coffee and your orange juice. And, you know, next thing you know, they're telling you, oh, I pee like 10 times before noon and I'm running to the bathroom. Well, you're, you're drinking very, you know, eating very acidic things. Um, chocolate can actually be irritating to the bladder. Um, you know, all the good things, chocolate, wine, red wines in particular, alcohol in general, but the, the red wines in, in particular, uh, tomatoes. Um, so yeah, you're going to have that nice Italian uh, dinner with your tomato sauce and your, your red wine. If you have an urgent continence issue, then that may be more irritating. But it's, you know, not to say that everybody eating those foods are going to have that problem. It's just those tend to be very irritating to the bladder. Um, if you're yeah. a smoker, nicotine, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, you don't have to tell people nowadays that smoking's bad for their health. They know it. You know, I, no, I, I don't, don't know. give, I, I don't give people, <laughs> you know, lectures about that, but I do like to remind them that there are nicotine receptors in the bladder. So, you know, not only can that nicotine, nicotine irritate the bladder, but it's actually one of the causes of bladder, can be one of the causes of bladder cancer. So, um, yeah, the bladder has this aligning in, inside of it, kind of like your stomach, because it has a very low acid pH, has a, a gag layer to protect it. So it won't, your, your juice, stomach juices won't digest the stomach wall. Your, your bladder has a layer to protect it also. And a lot of chemicals will be irritating and can disrupt this layer. And the aspartame in the oh, diet yeah. drinks is particularly offensive to the bladder. And there are actually more complaints to the FDA about aspartame than any substance known, whether it's a food additive or a pharmaceutical, and it has been shown to cause cancer in rats. And I find that that's particularly offensive. And then the Dr. Pepper, because of the bicarb, that's an irritant, the caffeine's an irritant, the aspartame's an irritant. But like Dr. Greenleaf is saying, there's usually a compound effect. It's usually not just one thing that you're consuming that's causing the bladder irritation, the frequency, the urgency, and the incontinence. Usually it's, it's several and it's a lot of these acid producing foods. So one of the things that you could do is look at your diet and see, ooh, what am I consuming? If you're smoking, you got to stop now. We don't even need to talk about that. But... <laughs> the uh, foods that you're consuming that are very acidic and could be irritating to your bladder, removing those from your diet. And I, 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 I would bet 80% of the time when people would change their diet, when they were my client, when I had an office-based OBGYN practice, the urgency and incontinence went away. Hands down. You know, people panic because they go, oh my God, I can never eat any of the things I want ever again. And I'm like, 
you know, that's not it. Just stop them for like, you know, a couple weeks and see what happens. If you get better, add the foods back one at a time, like do one, wait a couple of days, see what happens. Do another one, wait a couple of days and see if there's, you know, see if you can identify the food that bothers you. The other thing when it comes to um, bladder irritation, there are some simple remedies. There's an over the counter product called Prelief, which is basically a bladder antacid. So some people are, you know, they want that coffee and they'll take some Prelief and then that'll help neutralize the, um, the, the acid in the coffee. I had another patient tell me that she found something recently on Amazon called coffee tamer. And it was some kind of, it was just like a, a bicarbonate type of uh, solution that you, or powder that you put in your coffee to neutralize the acid. And that was working for her. Or you can even just take baking soda and water. Now mm-hmm. I personally have tried it myself. I can't, I can't tolerate the taste, but right. I have patients that swear by it, especially if they're a patient that actually experiences burning in their bladder from eating these things. Um, that you know, I'll say just take like, you know, like a quarter of a teaspoon in a little thing, uh, you know, or or up to a teaspoon mm-hmm. in eight ounces of water and drink that, and that will help neutralize the acid in the the urine too. Yeah, so that's I wouldn't, a, I wouldn't a do great, that more than twice a day though, because you don't want to throw your your acid base balance off too much. But yeah, that's a simple, easy, cheap mm-hmm. way to do it. That's a great remedy for food sensitivities too, that a lot of people listening may not be aware of. If you're sensitive to a certain food and you get a reaction, you can take baking soda. So baking soda has a lot of a lot of great purposes. So looking at your diet is one of the things that you can do to reduce urgency and urge incontinence. What are some other situations that predispose women to having urgency and urge incontinence? You know, I, one of the things in general is unfortunately, as we go through perimenopause and menopause, that can add to both types of incontinence, but we also, we will see it with urge incontinence. It's just the thinning of the, when you, all right, so when you go through perimenopause and menopause, your estrogen level starts to decline. And as that happens, you get a thinning of the vaginal tissue. And with that thinning of the vaginal tissue, you get a change in the pH of the vagina. So the vagina is the one place in your body you want it to be acidic. And as you're going through menopause, it starts becoming a little bit more basic. And this is a long explanation for a simple answer. But um, then with that change, what happens is, so they think that the thinning of the tissue can also um, can add to urinary irritation. It can, that thinning of the tissue at takes away some of that support that can add to stress incontinence. But with urge incontinence, what will happen with that change in pH, you lose your healthy bacteria in the vagina. When you lose your healthy bacteria in the vagina, other bacteria will start coming in there and and start taking over. And they think it's that presence of this other bacteria that is now starting to irritate the lower urinary tract that urethra, the tube you pee through, and that can start adding to urgency and frequency. So, right. And there are also sex hormone receptors in that lower portion of the bladder and urethra themselves. So when your sex hormones start changing, which usually happens by the time you're about 40, you start having a gradual decline then you're not getting the proper stimulation and support for health of that tissue in addition to the vagina. 
So getting your hormones naturally balanced, because it could also be the progesterone and 50% of women will have a testosterone deficiency. And there are receptors for testosterone in those areas also. So that's key to getting the urge incontinence under control. And let's, you touched on the, the, the vaginal acidity. So let, let's talk about that. Cause there are also probably some people listening who have problems with recurrent vaginitis. I oh, know. Sure. Yeah. We, I would see clients all the time with yeah. BV and yeast and tricks sometimes and all kinds of problems. So why don't yeah. we touch on that? What's, sure. what's going on there? Oh, so, you know, it, it's, I, I almost look at the vagina and the microbiome of the vagina as almost the core to a lot of what I do with, you know, incontinence and recurrent urinary tract, in, tract infection and recurrent vaginitis. So when you're younger and you have all your hormones, the pH of the vagina should be between 3.5 to 4.5. That's a nice healthy range. Um, you have bacteria that normally lives there that are usually in what's called lac the lactobacillus species. So a lot of people have heard of acidophilus, well, it's lactobacillus acidophilus. And there, there are a couple other ones that are in the lactobacillus species that are very um, predominant that they help keep the vagina healthy. And so why they're there is as when your vagina is healthy and you have your hormones, your tissue's nice and thick. As Because it's thick, it'll be sloughing off old cells all the time and new cells will be growing. Those sloughed off cells contain something called glycogen, which feeds the healthy bacteria. So the healthy bacteria likes that glycogen. And so the healthy bacteria keeps away the bad bacteria that can cause vaginitis and urinary tract infections by producing hydrogen peroxide. So they keep their, their environment very acidic with the hydrogen peroxide and they're able to chase away everything else. What happens is, and even in younger women, birth control can throw off the mm -hmm. hormone balance and the pH balance and you all see recurrent vaginitis and urinary tract infections in those women because their pH of the vagina is off. They've lost their, their, um, their, their lactobacillus, their, their healthy bacteria. You see it in postmenopausal women and in menopausal women because of that thinning of the tissue and now that their bacteria doesn't have a food source and they lose it. But I think a lot of it too is diet related in that as Americans, we don't eat a lot of fermented foods. Mm -hmm. So we're not replenishing our source of healthy bacteria in our bodies. So, um, you know, there's so many choices of fermented foods out there. It's, you know, you go to any of these stores and there's such a big market with the kombucha, which is the fermented teas and the different types of yogurts. And, um, you know, they've seen fermented uh, sauerkrauts and cabbage and kimchi and, the, you know, getting more healthy bacteria into our body because of the fact that that bacteria probably got there to begin with because of the fact that you have the vagina and the rectum is so close together that there can be a um, kind of crossover of that bacteria. And we know that that's how people get urinary tract infections is because a lot of the, the gut bacteria is getting into the vagina, setting up home, and then getting into the urinary tract. So I think, you know, your gut health is very important to your vaginal health. Yeah. So, you know, even looking for even probiotics and supplements that support women's health. 
Yeah, I think we should call it the veggie biome. Yeah. 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 So um, the care and feeding of your veggie biome, yes, you need to yes. take care of it. You have to have the right acid-base balance, the right acidity, and you also have to have, to have the right bacteria and the right hormonal levels. So to me, I think those are really the, the three keys to keep that vagina healthy. And I, I, I would see women just swing back and forth, a yeast infection, yeah. BV, yeast infection, BV. And really, you have to kind of say, stop, and what are all the factors contributing to these recurrent vaginitis problems? And get rid of them so that the body can come to homeostasis, which it wants to. Yeah, yeah. It really does want to. Yeah, because the body always wants to heal itself. It does. <laughs> no matter it what just, we do to it, it always <laughs> We just need to get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So back to the urinary incontinence. So we talked about urge incontinence really being a lot uh, in a big part, also a hormonal or chemical irritation type of problem. Infection also can do that. So chronic, chronic infection. If you have chronic bacteriuria, which is bacteria in your urine, but you don't have an actual infection, the body's not mounting an immune response, but that's something that can do it. And then- these factors also can contribute to stress incontinence, right? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, with the stress incontinence, that um, all these things we've talked to about can add to that. But with stress incontinence, it's more specifically a lack of support under the tube that you pee through. So, and those ligaments can be damaged most commonly through childbirth. Uh, but they can also be damaged through someone who's lifted heavy objects. So if you're lifting a heavy object, what I tell people is, you know, you see those big weightlifters on TV, they're not holding their breath, they're blowing out. Because if you lift something heavy and you hold your breath, that pressure's got to go someplace. And unfortunately, gravity is, you know, your pelvis is just a big open hole to gravity. And so that pressure is just going to go straight to your, your pelvic floor and you can damage those ligaments. Um, people with chronic asthma or chronic bronchitis and chronic coughing, same thing. If you're coughing and, you know, that you can't help, but um, that can actually damage that those tissues. So I've seen people who've ne- I've had a couple patients who've never had children, but they've lifted something heavy or they've had some, you know, really bad case of bronchitis and ended up with incontinence just because they damaged those ligaments. Um, the unfortunate thing is, well, the unfortunate thing is in traditional medicine, there is no way to repair those ligaments. Once they're torn or stretched, that's it. Um, but the treatment options for stress incontinence are starting, like we're starting to enter a really exciting age because there's new options coming out all the time. Um, one of the easy things people can do for this would help not only with stress incontinence, but urge incontinence is your Kegel exercises. You know, and everyone talks about the Kegels, but, you know, it's, I think the problem with the Kegels is that everyone thinks they know how to do it. And I would say about 80% of people don't know how they're, how to do it. And so help so, us know the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they, I guess in words, the explanation always is the muscles that you're using to stop your urine flow when you're on mm-hmm. the toilet. So, but I have patients who think that when they're peeing, they're supposed to be stopping their flow and that's the exercise. No, 
those are the, the we just tell you like if you're peeing and you try to stop it those are the muscles so that's only to to recognize where those muscles are you don't want to keep doing that while you're peeing you want to try to recognize where those muscles are and then do it other times um i think you know working with either a pelvic floor physical therapist a pelvic physical therapist or even going to your gynecologist and have them show you how how it's done meaning that if you have somebody that's actually monitoring and putting a finger or two in the vagina while you're trying to Kegel and they can let you know, yeah, you're doing it or no, you're not doing it. Cause I have people who think they're doing it and I'm like, they're tightening up other, every other muscle, but the, tilting the right. their pelvis. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, sometimes you're know, doing that. I mean, if you want, you can do it yourself. You can put a, you reach down, put a finger or two in the vagina and see if you could tighten and squeeze around your fingers. And then that's, those are the muscles that you need to use. Now, some people's muscles are so incredibly weak that they can't even tighten. Mm -hmm. And there are simple exercises you can do to strengthen the pelvic floor without having to do the Kegels. Um, just sitting in a chair and rolling up a towel or getting like a ball and putting it between your legs when you're sitting with your knees, you know, kind of just in a normal sitting position and just squeeze together on that ball or rolled up towel, those will strengthen your pelvic muscles. And that's something you could do easily. You know, I tell people to try to start off with 10 a day, then, you know, in a week, try increasing it to like, you know, do 10 and then relax and then do 10 more. So do two sets of 10 and then relax. And then you keep adding to that. Mm -hmm. And then maybe once you strengthen the, the pelvic muscles, then you could start trying to do the Kegels. Or, you know, there's, uh, you know, some areas of the country, there are pelvic physical therapists, some there's not as many, but, you know, working with a pelvic physical therapist is really good to strengthen those muscles. Right. Um, and then talk about the equipment that I know you have in your store, <laughs> yeah, which so. I, I find that it's, it's kind of hard for people. I used to tell them also, it's the same muscle, the muscles that you use to stop peeing. Yeah. Uh, but, but same thing. It's kind of this esoteric, am I doing it right? I don't really know what you're talking about. And so I find that with the biofeedback, like the um, pelvic floor therapist will do where there actually is a meter that shows yeah. when you're contracting the right muscles. But I used to love the, the graded vaginal weights or yes. the Kegel sizers that people could purchase or Benoit balls. So talk about using those. Where should yes. someone start? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a number of different kind of weights on the market so that something that you can put in the vagina that gives you the sensation that there's something there so you can squeeze against. Plus, because they come in different weighted sizes, you can work your muscles up. I mean, you know, they say any muscle, you, you, if you don't use it, you lose it. And right. that's especially, you know, prevalent in the, in the pelvic floor because nobody thinks of using those muscles. We take them for granted when we're younger, they're just there. You don't realize it until you're starting to have a problem. And then it's like, well, that, now what do I do? Um, there's also a really interesting product called the Perry Coach. Um, it's a, this little device that's probably about that big, and it goes like it's probably like the like the length of your thumb, mm -hmm. and it goes into the vagina and it attaches. It well, it Bluetooth connects to an app, and you can actually see your progress and see how you know you get the feedback of how you're while well, you're tightening. Um, and the nice thing with that program is your physician or clinician can actually access your information through an account and they can track how well you're doing also. Um, 
There are a couple other what are called periometers that are out there on the market and they're just basically probes that can be placed in the vagina that attach to a little digital screen where you can see the number. So you're getting feedback that you're doing it correctly. Um, and then, you know, one of the interesting, there's another, you know, some interesting treatments that have come out. There's a product called the Msala, which well, I describe it as a pelvic magnetic chair and you sit on it fully closed and clothed and you, it uses like an MRI machine magnet, very strong magnet. And when the magnet turns on, it causes your muscles to contract. So it actually does your Kegel exercises for you at 80 times what you're able to do yourself. So it might be a really good starting, you know, I think when it comes down to it, anything you can do yourself is going to work better. You know, I, I can't go make somebody work out for me. I w if I could, I would, because right. that would be awesome. But, um, you know, I think that the, the Msella is a really good product to start when your floor, when your floor's completely weak and you just don't have any mus to muscle, um, mass to just build that up and then start learning how to do your kegels and then you know or even just you know do the weights and the kegels or your little push your legs together and, and it's something you want to do lifelong you don't want to just do it and then okay I'm done I'm good it's you know you want to keep exercising those muscles yeah and once you learn how to do it you can make it a habit and tie it to something else like every morning when you get in your car to drive to work that's your cue you do your kegels while you're driving yeah yeah and uh, if you didn't have enough incentive to do them because it's going to help you not leak urine, it oftentimes leads to better sex because yes. you're strengthening the muscles that also surround the vagina. And that's a, a sort of tightening. And so it can lead to better sexual relations for you and your partner as well. And also with orgasm, with the, you get a spasming of those muscles. And if those mm -hmm. muscles are better in shape there people have reported better orgasms they can hold on to their orgasms longer so there's many benefits to doing those those exercises and strengthening the pelvic floor sure great yeah yeah and and then if these preliminary DIY tools don't work what comes next for these types of incontinence problems? yeah well for the urge incontinence um other than, you know, diet and exercise, um, then you're starting getting into what are your next steps. And in traditional medicine, the next step is usually medication. And there are about eight different medicines on the market. Um, about probably seven of them prevent bladder spasms. And there's one on the market that actually relaxes the bladder. Um, now there is an over-the-counter, there are actually two over-the-counter products that can be helpful and people can try them. One is a medicine. It used to be, well, it's still called Oxytrol, but it used to be a prescription and that's a patch that some people can wear. But I find that the problem with that being over-the-counter is people think, well, if one works, then more and more will work. And I had a lady there. once come in with like five of these patches on their body. And I would recommend do not, more does not work. Actually, I was actually surprised when that medicine became an over-the-counter medicine because of the fact that the way that medication works, it can, you know, you can become dehydrated. You can get overheated when you're on it. You can, it can cause confusion. It can cross into the brain and make people com confused. Uh, so, 
you know, try, do, if you're going to try it, just do it the way the package says, don't put five because you can have more health problems. But um, there is pumpkin right. seed extract. They found mm -hmm. that pumpkin seed extract can actually help. So there's some products out there on the market for that. There's some holistic products out there yeah. that have pumpkin seed extract. Pumpkin seed extract, yeah. Great. Um, yeah, so. and I would just want everyone listening to know that our, we are trained, we are conditioned in this country to seek a drug when we have a medical problem. That's what we're taught, and so that's what we continue to do the rest of our lives but dis-ease lack of ease in the body is not a sign that you need a drug it's a sign that your body is telling you it's not happy your job is to figure out why and really looking at the root causes of why it's not happy is what I'm encouraging you to do and why I have this podcast in the first place because you can go to your doctor and get, oh, take this drug because that's exactly what they'll do. Oh, you have an urgent continence. Maybe some of them will talk to you about your diet, but most of them are just going to give you a prescription. Yeah. And what I want to encourage you to do is educate yourself about your body and what are the root causes of dysfunction. And I always have my pyramid of success and at the foundation is hormonal balance. The next is toxicity. And that includes those chemical irritants we talked about and infectious agents. And then uh, nutritional deficiency is the next and then mental, emotional, spiritual balance. And one of the things that I always like to talk to my patients about who have urinary problems is what are you pissed off about? Yeah. Because when you've got bladder problems, you're typically pissed off about something. And like that leaking of urine, if you think about it, is almost like um, frustration and anger coming out. And where are you getting frustrated and anger, angry in your life? What's really taking you off? And so part of healing it is looking at what's causing the inflammation to cause the muscle, because your bladder is just a big old muscle, to be hyperreactive. Um, but what's causing you to be hyperreactive? So looking at these things, and like I said, you can go to your doctor and get any of these prescriptions. So we're not going to cover the drugs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're about educating you about your body so you can make better choices because as Dr. Greenleaf said, these medications have side effects. Every drug has a side effect. Every drug is a toxin that you're introducing into your body. So it's almost like you just go take a take some uh, pesticides and, oh, let me just eat that. Your body has to get rid of that. Oh, let me just take these drugs. And I know we don't see it that way because we're conditioned not to. And I get on my soapbox, but <laughs> that's no, why we're you. doing this podcast is to educate you about this. So, um, you know, I think then yeah. another thing to look at with urge incontinence is, is your spine in alignment? Yes. Because if your spine is not in alignment, and a lot of us aren't because of we're sitting in chairs all day long, and you know, that's going to pull and push on nerves, and that can affect um, the pelvic floor. I, I, you know, as an osteopathic physician, I have to admit, though, I don't do a lot of manipulation, but I do a lot of examination, and I find that majority of people that have urge incontinence, their sacrum's out of alignment. And go to a chiropractor, go to a, go to a uh, osteopathic physician that does manipulation, there's also 
simple exercises and stretches um, to rebalance your body. Uh, I There's a book in particular that I like called Pain-Free by Peter Egoscu. Mm -hmm. And it, he is a, a physiologist who came up with this book on how to keep your like just simple stretches and exercises to keep your body in alignment and if your body's in alignment it's more likely to function better so i think that that tends to be a very uh common cause of urge incontinence too is when when these you know these bones and nerves are, are getting irritated from being out of alignment mm -hmm. so yeah those those nerves can get tweaked and with pregnancy and childbirth mm -hmm. i know when i was pregnant uh with my second child i had horrible sciatica i could ha at the end i was wheeling around my residency in a wheelchair <laughs> because i just couldn't walk and it really those nerves get pressed on and i even had dysfunction after i had the baby sure. and you think of this huge object coming through and and it really can cause damage to uh, nerves and soft tissue and so that could be a huge contributing factor as well and osteopathic adjustment or also called chiropractic adjustment can be very helpful so these are all great tools i'm just wondering how you got interested in the in <laughs> women's health and pelvic floor issues you know it's it's funny because uh people go, you know, a lot of my patients are like, how did you decide to look at this all day long? And I'm, I'm sure you have got the questions with OBGYN. I just, I went to medical school and didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I liked medicine and I kind of went through all my rotations and, you know, which ones I liked, which ones I didn't like. And I found myself drawn to the surgical aspect of it. But then I actually started out in general surgery. And what I didn't like about general surgery, and not to insult the general surgeons, but they're kind of body mechanics. Like I wanted to have more of a relationship with my patients. Mm -hmm. So I'd be the one on my general surgery rotations that was talking to people. So how are you feeling now that your gallbladder's out? You know, like that really wasn't very good. So then I was like, then I ended up in OBGYN. And, um, my problem with OBGYN was I like to sleep at night <laughs> and, you know, babies come at all and I, I couldn't deal with being up. So, uh, and urogynecology was my very last rotation that I did as a, as a resident. And I went, wait a minute, this is what I like. This is really interesting. So, you know, I had years ago, somebody I had asked when I was a student, like, I just want to do the surgery part. I just want to do the gynecology part. And they told me, no, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And so then I kind of just found my, found my place. So, um, and just, That's great. It's, it's a very interesting field. Um, unfortunately, there's not that many of us. There's uh, only about 1,500 urogynecologists in the country. So, but it is a growing field and it's definitely one that's needed. So, Yes, it yeah. sure is. And I'm excited for your store. I'm going to let you tell everyone how they can find out more about you and what kind of things you have, like your pelvic floor store. Yeah, so um, the pelvic floor store is www.pelvicfloorstore.com. Basically, what I found was I started recommending products to my patients, and the problem was that they weren't easy to find. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these companies uh, will not sell on Amazon. And so I decided, well, let's just start 
let me just start a store and have everything in one place so people can try to get it in one place. So um, check it out. It's definitely, I'm adding things to it every day because I'm, and, and I need, this store is really for the patients. So if there's a product on there that I think is good, but the patients are like, no, I don't like this. Let me know because I'll take it off. Or there's, mm -hmm. there's something that you come across and you want on there. I will put it on. So I'm in the always searching for new, new pelvic products, and I have a lot more to put on there than than, than there. We're starting in steps. So um, great. The, and, yep. And so. then there, your website, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. So Dr. Correct. Yep. yep. BetsyGreenleaf.com. And we'll put these in the show notes too, so sure. people can find them. Sure. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. If someone's suffering with incontinence, I always like to leave everyone with the top three take action steps that they can do today that are simple, actionable tips. What would be the top three take action <sighs> tips you would give them if they're suffering with incontinence? I would say number one, just don't you know, don't be hard on yourself. This is not something that you did. It's very common. So just accept it and then take the actions to go find the help that you need. Number two, I would include both diet and exercises. Look, take a look at your diet. Take a look at doing the exercises because those are two simple things that you can do for yourself. And number three, if it's affecting your quality of life, if you're, you know, if it's really making you unhappy, then go seek the help. If, if you're leaking, I tell patients all the time, if you're leaking and it's not affecting your quality of life, it doesn't bother you, then you don't need to do anything about it. Cause there'll be people out there who will try to talk you into treatments that you don't necessarily need if you don't feel that they're good for you. So if it affects your quality of life, then go, go for it. But if not, then just keep doing what you're doing. Great. Well, good advice and know you're in good company if it's happening to you. And there are solutions, simple, natural solutions that you can start working on today. Thank you so much, Dr. Betsy, for joining us today. Really appreciate the work you're doing and the information that you've shared. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for this episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Hopefully you are inspired to take action on some new information you received today. A step towards the bountiful, blissful, beautiful vitality that you deserve. If you have health topics and questions you'd like addressed, please message me on my Facebook page or visit KieranDunstonMD.com and let me know. I'd love to help. Remember to share this podcast on social media and send it to your friends and family who could benefit from it too. If you love the show, please go right now to iTunes, write a review, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be the first to know when future episodes are available. Thank you again for joining me. And remember, achieving optimal health isn't magic, it's science. 